Hello, What the Health Tech listeners. I'm your host, Rian Bulmer. This is the podcast where we tackle some of the trending topics, ideas and best practice in health and social care. We're delighted to be joined this week by Director of Clinical Services from Exemplar, Helen Baxendale. Helen, hello and welcome. Hi, Rianne. You've got a really cool phrase on your LinkedIn that you describe you use to describe what it is you do. Would you care to tell us and our listeners what that is? Yeah, so within Exemplar Healthcare, so I always talk about making every day better, but that is our philosophy. Um, and that is something that is really ingrained in everything we do at Exemplar Healthcare, that we're supporting our people to have the best days they can possibly have. I think there's something really nice as well where you say it's for people to live, not be scared of a care home, but actually see it as something really positive. Yeah, I've spent I've spent most of my career looking after people in care homes, whether it be elderly people or younger adults. And, you know, I've met many, many people with lots of different relatives, friends, uh, healthcare professionals that have supported them. And I've always felt that some people fear coming into a care home. You know, you hear such bad stories on the media, in the newspapers, around care homes and abuse that happens. But actually, there is so much great work that happens. And, you know, they're there for a purpose. And we look after people right up to the end of their lives. And I've always wanted to make sure that people don't fear that. Yeah, I think that's massive because there is this fear of not just from um, service users, but from relatives, from family of people kind of going into that environment to have that debunked is something massive. So I think that's a really worthy tagline to have. I always keep that right close to my heart. Yeah, I do. Um, So with that in mind, we were going to chat today just a bit about your background, what brought you to your role here at Exemplar and what you kind of... Um, role encompasses, if that's okay, just as a kind of brief introduction? Yeah, so um, I trained as a nurse uh, in a nursing school, not at university, many, many, many years ago. Uh, I'm qualified in 1990. Um, I worked at the local hospital I trained in uh, for six years, and then I made a decision to um, actually go into the local care home as as a nurse. Um, Pretty much frowned on those days because you didn't come out of the NHS. People didn't want to go and work in care homes. Um, But I loved looking after older people. So um, that's what I did. So I went into a local care home and then throughout my career from 1996 uh, up until probably 2016, I went through all of the roles that you could possibly do in, in an operational point of view. So I was a nurse, then a unit manager, deputy manager, home manager, I became a projects manager, then I moved into regional management and finally up to operations director. And so I suppose I spent a lot of years, you know, right on the front line, supporting people, supporting care homes, regulation. And I got to a point in 2015 that I thought, you know what, perhaps I've had enough of actually being out there as the operator, but what could I do to make a difference to the people that live in the care homes, but also um, to this, for this, and really for the staff around how could I start to think about how we could improve what we do to A, meet the changing regulatory world with CQC, uh, and actually, back to the strap line of making every day better for people. So I predominantly worked uh, in a couple of the larger organisations. I spent 10 years at Booper and then I moved out of Booper and went, and that's when I came to work for Exemplar Healthcare. So I predominantly looked after older people, 
dip my toe every so often into some more complex care. But actually, it was when I came to Exemplar, that was one of the things that attracted me, that it was really um, in, at my time in my career that actually I could learn something new. Um, and I absolutely have had five years of learning something new every day about the people that we look after. Um, and we look after the most complex people that you'd probably find in society that live outside of a hospital or secure setting. Um, and many different people with many different complexities. So we look after people, just as an example, people with uh, acquired brain injuries, uh, and that could be through multiple, multiple things. It could be that someone's had an accident that's caused them to have an acquired brain injury, or it could be somebody that's had a stroke that's caused them to have an acquired brain injury. We look after a lot of people with Huntington's disease. Um, we look after people that have complex dementia. We look after people with learning disabilities. We look after people with schizophrenia. So we look after a real range of com complexities and a lot of comorbidities that come along with that. So just because someone's got a mental health problem, the majority of our people will have physical health issues as well. Um, and it, it's very clear with an exemplar, you know, we've got 43 homes currently. Uh, we look after 953 service users. We've got over 5,000 staff. And, you know, our values are, are very rich in the organisation. And the number one value is fun, which yeah. uh, is, is fantastic. And believe me, Every day, there is so much fun that happens across our organisation. You know, that is very, very clear. I can attest to that working with you guys. You're a fun organisation <laughs> to work with. We're very proud of having that. Yeah. And it's interesting when you look to recruit new people, and we always talk about the values, that actually everyone straight away just, just looks at the value of fun. Yeah. Um, because... Because to say as an organisation that is the main thing we want to do every day is, is amazing, really. And, and we support our people to have great days with lots of fun going on. Uh, really good. I think um, fun is a really worthy value and an important value because actually most people want to have fun in life, in work, in they how do. they live. And, and that's something really important. And um, one of the things I'd be keen to talk about and explore is having such a complex suite of service users how do you start to consider the quality and safety elements of that because that is quite a big feat to undertake because there's so many different kind of complexities in the nature of what you what you do yeah well you you have we have to be very clear about a everybody's into individual primary diagnosis and then their their multiple other diagnoses that they have and it's around understanding each individual person uh, that we care for and then it's around thinking about out of out of that how we can support our staff to care for them yeah so um, obviously there's an awful lot of training that goes on in the organization um, so understanding the service users and their complexities helps us as a team really drive the training agenda so that that's definitely one way and I think you've got to have robust governance processes. Um, and when I talk about governance, I'm talking about both clinical and I'm talking about operational governance. So an inter integrated governance programme. And, and very clearly, there has to be systems and processes that we uh, introduce, follow. And actually, all, all the time, we're thinking about how we can reduce risk. Yeah. So we look after people that do have a lot of health risks have a lot of behavioural risks and obviously then that causes us 
um, across the organisation to have people that actually can injure themselves, can injure others. And so we've got to be very clear about the amount of support and training that we deliver to our staff to be able for them to be able to actually deliver the care to the service users. So there's definitely got to be systems and processes. And um, in, in any sort of healthcare setting, you will have robust governance processes. So ours are not particularly any different to other organisations that you will find. However, we will then bespoke some of it depending on the type of service users. So we've got 43 different services and every one of them is different. And um, we have some specialist units. So we do have some units that may have 10 people with complex dementia, for example. Um, but we also have units where we have a mixture of service users. So some people that will come in with a physical health need and people with mental health needs. And people have often asked me, how does that work? Well, it does. And it works beautifully because the staff know the service users really well and we do a robust pre-admission assessment and then the very key thing to all of that is the community fit so we look at the people that we've got on a particular unit and it's always in forefront of the minds of the home manager or the clinical nurse manager that go out and do the community fit that will people fit in with other people interestingly the other day I went to one of our services and we had an elderly gentleman who has got complex dementia who um, used to be a chef in, 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 in his career uh, and since, uh, currently is living in one of our two-bedroom departments with a quite a young gentleman who actually we're looking to support to rehabilitate back into the community. And Ben is actually um, training Chris to actually cook. Wow. It, it was, honestly, and they were both... I mean, Ben's got quite severe dementia, but Chris was so happy living with Ben because he was he was developing him some new skills so that actually he could be much more self-sufficient. And if he went out into the community, then he would be able to cook for himself. And you would have never thought that the two people would get on and live together, but they do and it's working beautifully. I think that's really interesting as well to look at the kind of formal side of having your risk and your governance frameworks in place, but actually what are the other metrics that mean a good quality of life? And putting those in place and how you manage the two, I think, is really elegant. Yeah, and it is very, for me, it's, it's we are, when we talk about individualised care, and you hear that across the whole industry, um, actually, given the type of people that we support, individualised care has to happen. Because every single one of our service users is unique. Yeah. And no two one, you can have someone with an acquired brain injury, that the, the level of care and support they require is completely different to the person that, that lives in, on the same unit and then in the next room who has also had an acquired brain injury. So we are very, very clear that individualised person-centred care is what we need and are required to deliver. And I think that's why it works really well because we've got, we completely focus on that. How can we support this individual and what are the outcomes they wish for? And that could just be, um, for one person, it could just be in a, in a day that they've chose, chose their own clothes or they've brushed their own hair. It's not always around clinical outcomes. It's, it's around well-being and what makes people feel better. 
Yeah, it's so important. Yeah. Um, and so wonderful to see it articulated so openly as kind yeah. of all those small examples that make such a difference to someone. And um, one of the things that you touch on um, or you started to talk about was that the staff training and that element yes. of it being the underpinning piece that sits throughout. And how do you cope if you have changes in staff and fluctuations and uh, yeah, I mean, we, we are like any other company. We do have our recruitment challenges from time to time. We do have a, an awful lot of our longer-term services that have very good core teams of staff that have worked in our homes for many years um, and have become their own community. Uh, but on the fringes of that, we have services that we do see staff turnover. It depends on the area. And again, it's around... AR recruitment process right at the very beginning um, and looking for, for people that actually really do want to care for people with complex needs because it is quite different than working in an elderly care home. Um, and it's around understanding their needs and their developments individually again. So it's about, from a colleague perspective, a staff perspective, it's around understanding, you know, what development they require and what trait because we, we give the you know every day we do mandatory training we have our own positive behavioral support training we have unlimited resources for training you know we have a great platform um that we can do digital training but also we have face-to-face -face training but actually what we require to train one set of staff might be quite different to another depending on the staff and their needs as well so again it's around investing in the people and understanding their requirements um and we have to continually do that you know staff will come and go staff leave um, and it's around our home managers and our clinical nurse managers and our nurses being able to support the staff to be able to care for the people. And so it is this con constant circle, but it's something we have to do all the time. I think that's interesting that you're cognizant of that, that, you know, you yeah. don't have a solution. It's a constant. We run a really good piece. buddy programme. So when a new, a new member of staff joins us, everyone's allocated a buddy. And it's usually, obviously, we, we want buddies that have worked for us for you know, a longer period of time that understand the people that they're looking after um, and that can support that new new person in role. Uh, and that does work really well in most instances. Um, I can imagine. And I think as you're talking around that kind of complex environment that you operate in and having to constantly make sure that you're changing and adapting to fit the kind of variables within that, um, one of the things that we came to first start talking about was radar and the use of kind of tech and using systems within your processes to support that um what before you kind of had that tech that could change and amend what what did it used to be like and i don't i'm sorry that sounds really cheeky like how <laughs> no, we no, used no, to it's live not. so uh when i joined exemplar which is now I'm, it's, it's just been five years ago everything that we did was paper-based which was quite interesting to me because I'd just come out of Booper and we just implemented Datix. Uh, it had taken two years and I'd been sort of for the care services group been um, sort of leading that rollout and that training etc etc and so I'd just left Booper where I'd all of a sudden got this great system at my fingertips and obviously incident and complaint management is around reducing risk for, for, for any organisation and so I left there having utopia and then and then I, I came into Exemplar and we didn't have anything. Everything was completely paper-based. Um, and the, the, 
there was uh, governance processes, there was an incident framework, it was called adverse event reporting. So the processes were there, but everything was on a piece of paper. And then our sort of period reporting, because we work in four weeks uh, periods rather than months, our period reporting, everything was on a spreadsheet, everything was manually inputted, everything was themed and trend. So, you, you, you know, this big beast of paper and spreadsheets. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> where, do I start? Where, where do I start? Well, um, obviously what I've started with was looking at what the biggest risks were for the organisation. And for me, I, I obviously wanted a day six or a radar. That I just left that and that's what I wanted. However, I took the decision quite early on that actually one of our biggest risks was medication. So we implemented EMAR first. Um, and so it was very much uh, scoping out from a digital point of view what we wanted to do, and we um, uh, were very lucky to um, have a, a great guy, James, who is our uh, chief transformation officer. And so our digital our digital um, plan for the following five years, and we're, we're just about there, so I can update on that, but the, the digital plan was then mapped out. And so we started with EMAR, and we've been on the journey for five years where we are now at the point, and obviously radar came in, as part of that in the last 18 months, but we are now at a point uh, where we're moving into looking at digital uh, care records and we will be using the Nourish system. We're just about to go into piloting three services uh, in next week, actually. Uh, and uh, we will have everything on a, on a digital platform. So the, the journey has been massive and in the middle of it, it was a pandemic and that did stall us a little bit. Um, because we would have liked to have been further down the road with re with electronic care records at this point. It's interesting that you say, you know, you sat down and you mapped out this five-year plan and I've spoken to quite a few colleagues across health and social care who who are all saying similarly, you know, it isn't when you're committing to tech projects, you have to commit to a programme of work and a programme of activity um, because just one project on its own, it, it doesn't interact, it doesn't no, it integrate. Doesn't. And, and it's also, you know, mapping it out for five years, change is really difficult sometimes for yeah. people. We want to change. We all, we all want to change. And we know why we want to change, because we want better outcomes for the people we look after. But actually, when you're working in a care home every day, all day, with the challenges that that brings, to then introduce change in so many ways all at once would just not, would, wouldn't work. And, you know, I was chomping at the bit to get instance and complaints and, it took me four years to get yeah. there, um, which is fabulous because I've now got some great information at my fingertips and, and so has the whole organisation. But actually, we had to take this on a, on a steady programme. And our introducing of Nourish, um, we have an 18 months plan in mind, but if it takes longer, it will take longer. We will do this correctly and yeah. support our people. We've learned loads and we've certainly learned around each individual care home and some of our homes just take to change. And that's because of stability. There's a lot of stability in those services. So actually change comes easier to those people. Whereas we've got one or two services that we know we have to support more. Yeah. Because they do and are in areas where we do see some staff attrition, which then makes change harder, doesn't it, when you're trying to introduce something new. 
Yeah, I think that. And I think it's an interesting topic around that whole, what are those, you know, we call it resistance to change, but what are the barriers to change? And what, in terms of the rollout of programmes you've done so far, what have you seen those being, aside from attrition? Yeah, attrition, of- I think sometimes it's a, it is around culture. It's around the culture of the people that, that are in the home and around their understanding. Um, and sometimes we have to work harder with some homes than others um, and that can be the dynamics of the staff team um, also we have some homes where you can understand that that's difficult because the type of people that we look after so the challenges in those particular services it, they've got to find the time then we've got to find time to train them to introduce the system etc etc when you work in a really particular uh, service that's really difficult from a challenging behavior point of view that's not always easy to be able to backfill shifts so that people can come off of their shift to be able to do the training so I I would say we've learned so much um, having implemented EMAR then a digital auditing platform we've got a health and safety platform we've got an electronic road system we've moved forward we now know the services that do this really well and we actually know the homes that we have to support further um, and to be fair, that landscape, landscape hasn't changed. So in, in four years of introducing systems, we, it, it's still the same homes that still, and, that, and that's, that's not particularly about their leadership. It's just about some of the challenges in the service, really. It's interesting because this theme is just coming out in everything you talk about, that it's not one size fits all, not for your service users, not it's for not. your staff, not for rollout. It's really understanding the differences and the nuances Yeah, what we've also found is with any new technology that we're inputting that, you know, it's great that we have a digital platform for training and we do have to use that for various different sets of training. Um, But when we're introducing a new system, we have really found that actually going out face to face to the homes, we get much better buy in and you see it settle into the surface so much better. People do want, you know, and I think COVID brought an awful lot of us having to do a lot of things digitally that actually now we're opened up and we can actually get to services and we can work with people um, to actually introduce the training and what the system's about and show them the system. It works far better than bringing them into a classroom or making them sit in front of a digital platform and having the training. It's funny that, isn't it? Because kind of as a a tech industry, everyone's really, my whole career has been wedded to this classroom type approach Mm -hmm. to training, whether that's virtual or um, face to face. But actually, it's much more the practical side of people working, using their own kind of content and doing things. It's having someone coaching them, I think, sometimes. So it's that, that coaching element. And that's certainly what we've used quite a lot of my clinical team to do whereby where we've got a home that's particularly struggling with the implementation of a new system, that actually some of um, my team will go out and actually coach them on an individual basis, coach the clinical nurse managers, coach the nurses, so that then we can do that cascade training. It is not as effective and accepted if we just sit people in front of the screen. But I think any kind of... I'm pretty affair with tech but anything new someone gives me I don't learn it by watching a video and then no. I learn it as I go and yeah, yeah, need yeah. someone I can ring up and say what is my password again or <laughs> what is the link to that or yeah yeah so it, we've definitely found that working 
with people being there on the ground supporting and coaching where we have struggles is the is a much better method of getting people to accept the change and drive it forward yeah and I suppose it's having that foresight to know that actually up front that resource is required but it saves you so much time further well there's the more line. investment yeah but actually the the output both from understanding the system and what that and the benefits that can that can bring, but the outcomes for the people is so much more positive. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's probably one of the keys: being able to demonstrate the outcomes back to it people. Is. Yeah, and on that, what kind of outcomes have you seen through your kind of digital journey so far that you're able to translate and show back to the homes, to the service users, even? Well, we have far more data available to us. Um, and it's data that we've chosen to uh, trend and theme every four weeks. Um, and that helps us, you know, improve the outcomes for people. So, for example, if I give you an example of one of them. So we now really capture unplanned hospital admissions, OK, which we used to catch them on a spreadsheet. But actually, the level of detail, it, it wouldn't it was not as rich as what you get within a system. Um, and actually, it's around looking at those unplanned hospital admissions. It's really important to our service users, as it is to any really, that actually having to go to hospital, the impact that that can have on a particular person can be quite catastrophic with some of the types of people that we support. So um, we particularly fixed on, uh, fixed on this particular outcome so that we can try and avoid hospital admissions, which again, takes pressure off the system as well. Yeah. It takes pressure off the NHS and trying to work much more proactively with the GP practices um, to actually avoid un unplanned hospital admissions because it, the impact and the outcomes for people can be really poor when people have to go to hospital and that's not, I'm saying that they don't get great care in the NHS, but actually, it's not good for the mental health. Sometimes it's not good for the physical health. They're not supported as they would be within the care home because of the staffing levels within the NHS. So that's just one area. So having all of this digital information has allowed us to really trend and theme lots of things that actually we can reduce and see better outcomes for people. I think that's really interesting as well. You talk about reducing and, and doing something with that data because the fear a lot of um, colleagues have is, you know, collecting data. We can collect really good data and we can have loads of dashboards, but it's actually bringing it to life and yeah. doing something with it's it. It's also, we've got it. So from a central perspective, it's all there. We understand it, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the key things for me and something that we're really on a journey with within Exemplar is helping our colleagues in the care homes to understand what it actually tells them. Yeah. And to become quite self-sufficient in using the systems to actually understand where their issues are, where the risks are, and then how they can respond and, and react to that really quickly. So currently we, we support centrally, but we are, as a system becomes embedded, and we've really seen this with EMAR and we're now driving this with radar, is, you know, in, in the initial stages, we're supporting, really supporting the individual services to understand what it's telling them. Um, but as we go a year into projects, post-projects, we're backing away and trying to get people to understand. So again, it's back to training. Yeah. It's going back out to services to support and coach them to understand what, what this information is telling them and what it means for them.
And have you got any examples of where that's really come to life? Because if something comes to mind, a GP colleague once said years ago to me a phrase that stuck with me ever since, that actually the power of data is you don't have to let other people measure you, you can measure yourself measure and yourself. you can track yourself and see that. So have you got any examples of where the home managers have had some really brilliant changes they've been able to make as a result of seeing that data? Yeah, I think we've got, we've got a particular service um, where we've had quite a lot of service users that have fallen. Um, so if I think about the particular unit, I'm, I'm thinking about a lot of people with complex dementia and a lot of falls. Um, and really, now that we also track falls and the trends and the themes, um, actually, that home has, dr- has dramatically reduced the falls within their service. Uh, and obviously, from an outcome-based point of view, that's fantastic for service user care and we've got a lot of examples of that certainly from a falls perspective a choke perspective um also uh when we look at um injuries caused through physical altercations because obviously we have a lot of people that have behaviors that challenge um and actually we've we've seen a quite a vast reduction over this year in something that's resulted in an injury um, by trending the data, knowing which homes have got particular pockets of it, and then actually our behavioural support team going out and supporting the services to understand what measures they can take to reduce the risk. So not wanting to put words in your mouth, but would you say that it's actually through analysing your data that you're able to run these bespoke programmes and bespoke training programmes because you get to exactly know where your hotspots are. Because we don't need the same thing for anywhere. So back to the whole discussion we've been having, all of our services are very different. So I don't need to run a falls programme. I mean, we often have themes of of the period. So we'll have, you know, we had a smoking cessation theme because we have a lot of people that smoke in our services. We do have a falls theme. We're just about to do a meds theme. But actually, we can help the homes understand the data and then we can per home bespoke what extra training they may require because what one home will need is not the same as what another home will yeah. need. That, and then that allows you to have that flexible approach yeah, you've talked about. And use our resources much more uh, impactfully across yeah. the organisation. Yeah, that's brilliant. And it's exciting yeah. to see from our point of view at Radar to be able to see the real examples of the system brought to life and affecting change because that's why we're all here and why we all want to do it. But being able to see that and see those stories is massive. Yeah, I know. No, it's fantastic. We've just been building a choke risk register within Radar because we had a, sig- a significant incident in a service around choking. And actually, that has really highlighted to us where our risk is, and we've now just um, commissioned the services of a speech and language therapist who's going to work with the with the organisation. And actually, we are just developing a bespoke training programme for everybody, for every service that requires it, because not all services do. Yeah. That, yeah. That's one of the most exciting things to say. I'm trying to think of a kind of tagline for it, but it's not come <laughs> to mind. I'm sure you'll think of one. I have one. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's the power of it, isn't it? Yeah. It's just knowing that you can look at each home individually and then support them individually instead of just running, you know, training sessions that you want everybody to come to. Yeah, and I think it's something about that adoption and use of tech because certainly through COVID and you saw kind of every investor investing in health tech, it was a thing. Everybody's got lots of good ideas. 
of how tech can help, but actually it isn't this kind of blunt instrument where you put in a system and it fixes loads of problems. It requires The system's that. as good as what you put in it. Yeah. It's as good, and it's also as good as the people that use it and their knowledge of what it means. Yeah, yeah, and then what you do with the outputs of it. Yeah, absolutely. And then that kind of um, evolution you talk about, of that constantly changing circle, the tech's got to be able to fit and absolutely. be spoke to that too. It can't just be this kind yes. of raw instrument that's just always there as a static yeah absolutely um yeah no I think that's and that's to hear those stories is really heartwarming for us because we get to hear the real examples of it being used and ultimately you know making sure that everyone is and, and we're and at the stage so we're now alive in all services but we're now in the embedding stage yeah which I find really exciting so we've got so many more incidents reported than we've ever had before and it's great to see our carers and our senior carers and everybody now inputting into an electronic system um, but it will take us a good year and my experience of running um, this type of system elsewhere is that it, it, you've got a year of learning and embedding yeah until it becomes that much more it becomes part of what we do we're not quite there yet but we are seeing more and more incidents reported i get so excited <laughs> so dan, dan who who runs the project for us he'll say we've had 7258 incidents reported now helen i'm like yes <laughs> this is this is what i want to see you know obviously that also includes near misses etc yeah. but we can learn so much from that and i i get really excited by this and how do you foster that positive culture that people feel that it's safe, it's psychologically safe, it's right to report? Yeah, well, it's it's around how we communicate, isn't it? About what the, the system's telling us, um, how many incidents we've we've had, and actually, it's that positive reinforcement that keep reporting, report, 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 yeah. because at the end of the day, that's the only way we can learn. And um, we have a steady sort of communication program with an exemplar so we have our weekly communications etc etc and we talk about this all the time so it's constantly positively reinforcing to people that this is really good yeah don't feel afraid that you've reported this amount of incidents and obviously every every four weeks we report on all the incidents uh but actually you're doing a great job you know and this is what you can learn from so you've got to constantly praise people for the fact that they are reporting yeah yeah, which is culturally in a lot of health and social care organisations a sea change yeah, to, you know, is. actually p- pulling it all out there and everyone see, being really transparent. Not suggesting people are not transparent, sorry, let me fr- rephrase that, but actually filling it in into a system to know that actually as a whole you start to be able and to And it's spot why trends. we do it. Yeah. You know, so you've reported this incident and, you know, we do, we do an awful lot about lessons learned and, you know, I send out, I, I personally send out any significant lessons learned from an organizational point of view and I love to send those out and that's a double-edged sword really we don't want a significant incident however the lessons that we learn I actually I I really smile because I send it out and I get so many responses back to me about what people are doing about it yeah and thanking me for sharing the lessons learned that I actually feel that we are really driving forward with this learning culture about what we do And, and we need a system like Radar, like EMAR, all of those systems to be able to learn lessons much more quickly. Yeah. Because, again, it's back to support staff to be able to deliver the care and actually support service users to get better outcomes. Yeah, and I think that going right back to that point about supporting staff, nobody comes to work to do harm or want to do Absolutely harm. They not. want support and help in how to mitigate these risks and 
prevent them. Yeah, yeah. So we just communicate about it all the time. Yeah. We have business update calls and I talk about how many incidents we've had and, you know, the positive reinforcement of you doing a really good job. Yeah. Um, and so how do you, does that fit into, from those incidents that you see, how many of those fit into that wider system? So I'm, I'm, I've got questions on here about the wider system, so I'm trying to steer us into that kind of direction. But how do you start to look at those incidents go, okay, they sit within this organisation or actually these incidents have sat within the system as a whole? Yeah, I think um, when you look at a system, for me... Um, Obviously, you, the more you capture, the more you can actually develop and learn. So I think uh, working in partnership with people like Radar, but working in partnership also with the NHS, the ICS, the CQC, work, working in partnership, where we've got these systems and we capture all this data, we should share more so that we can all learn from it more. Yeah. Um, and I think where we're developing systems, and for the, for the people out there like yourselves that go out and develop a system... You've got to know who your stakeholders are um, that are actually going to use the system and what they're wanting to get out of it. And I think then for me, it's really key that you then use the people, you involve the people that are going to use the system to then develop it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's something, certainly some of the work we're starting to look at is we have experience in social care, in healthcare, hospitals, primary care, all these different elements of what makes up a healthcare system. But how do we work with our colleagues to join those dots? Absolutely. Because the data's there, it's about joining the dots to give insights across that whole view, rather than everything sitting in silos. And someone from NHS Digital once said, you know, quality and safety is the fall yes. between the cracks of the organisations. Yeah, I think, you know... As, as you look at the industry as, as a whole, and I've been on a five-year journey with an exemplar of we are transforming into this total digital platform, but we're not the only ones. Yeah. So, you know, you talk to people that you know in the industry um, and everyone is, is on this drive now to be on this digital platform. So we'll all be using something similar. Yeah. It's how we then all join up and decide that we can work together and share which we don't do well, do we? Yeah. To be fair, when, when you look at organisations, our organisation versus some of the other organisations, we're not good at doing that. So as we're all moving to a digital platform, then I think there should be so much more scope for forums and discussions around what, what we are highlighting and what we are actually doing to reduce risk for people. Because actually, if we did a lot more sharing, then the outcomes could be could be much improved all over. I think there's probably a few different themes to pick out from there. One is the sharing against similar organisations to look at actually this is what happened and these are the yes. um, mitigating actions we put in place. And I think that's really powerful. I think there's something then we've been asked by a number of our colleagues to actually start to look at data at that level yes. and start to say, well, actually, we're seeing this trend of falls and actually how does that link with training or this yes. trend of med errors, how does that link back to primary care and med reviews or... Mm -hmm. and starting to tackle things problem by problem but at a system level. I totally agree. Because I think sometimes what we see is, or what I observe of the systems is everybody's coming at them fix these problems you know everyone knows what the problems are but it's actually taking them piecemeal and tackling them. and we've all got similar problems yeah what would you say your top 
three problems that are system-wide, kind of endemic of the system. I uh, mean, there's definitely, um, when, when I look at our data and the things that, that cause us the biggest risks, um, and I am obviously have a lens on them all the time, there is definitely something about medication. Um, you know, I think across the industry, there's millions of errors per day. Now, they're not just, they're not errors as in somebody's being given the wrong tablet. We're talking about stop counts, etc. So there's definitely something around medication that I think as an industry and joining up with our partners, allied healthcare partners like the NHS, that we could potentially make steps forward um, in that area. We, we obviously look at falls, you know, falls can be prevented, uh, whether it be down to uh, people's medication being changed, whether it's down to footwear, whether it's down to observations. So for me, I've, I've always got a real close lens on falls. And then clearly in our industry, because we look after, in, in our particular organisation, sorry, we look after people with um, challenging behaviours, we have to look at trying to reduce injury to people. Yeah. So from a system perspective, oh, the systems we've now got tell me all of this. Yeah. And it's then what we do about it, what we do with that information, and then what we do to support the people, our colleagues that deliver care, and then the service users. Yeah. And that line of communication between all the different organisations. Yes, yeah. because other organisations will be having exactly the same issues. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's something that certainly we want to work to at least foster the environments where organisations can speak to each other because there's definite appetite there. Everyone's asking for relationships to be facilitated. And for me, when you look at the systems and the workflow, the lessons learned bit is probably one of the most important parts. Yeah. So within the system, within your system, you know, my challenge would be, could we have a lessons learned platform where we share across the industry lessons right. that we've learned? I'm going to say yes for anyone <laughs> listening in product that I'm going to get in trouble from. Um, but there's nothing to stop but isn't us that, exploring that. When, yeah. when you think about it, that's one of the main things that we want. We want everybody to be safe. Yeah. So if we've got lessons that we learn across industry, yeah. actually, well, I mean, you, you pick some of the lessons learned up through the media. So yeah. you do when you yeah. see things that are, that are in the media about something that's gone wrong somewhere. But actually, if we're all using a similar system and information's kept there, if we all agreed that we were happy to share our lessons learned, then why wouldn't we? Yeah. Yeah, and maybe there's something that we can do that in a much softer way to start with yeah, by yeah. just having those meetings with idea, one another. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've got a cliche, acorns, small acorns, Absolutely. mighty oaks. But yeah, yeah. no, I think that's, and that's certainly something that we're hearing from across the estate, like actually let's start sharing what we can do with this data and yeah. coming up with examples and then going outwards to within ICBs or whatever that might be to say, look, actually, Absolutely. we think this is a solution that could help. Um, and I think certainly as tech providers, we have something where we're culpable for helping join up those dots yes. and not just sitting within our own system. So, for example, um, you know, we're working on integrations with Nourish, we work with IoT devices, all these different things. And we can go off and dream up all the wonderful examples that we want to, but actually to have real tangible examples of problems we can fix, we can go and find yeah. the right partners and absolutely build those scenarios. So I think there's definitely a challenge back to us as tech providers around that, around bringing the kind of information you're putting into life. Yep. Um, I'm looking at the questions here. 
And I think I've asked you them all. Now, I've got some kind of really quick fire questions as in what do you think the key principles of effective working across the system? And by that, I mean across an ICB, for example, with you, you mentioned your GP partners, or yes. hospitals. What are the kind of key principles for that that we could learn from? Well, I, there's definitely something around communication, isn't there? And I, and I think I talk to, our, to, to my care home managers, and I talk to everybody within our organisation, and everybody still seems to do things quite differently. So you go from one area, one ICB to another, and never the twain shall meet, and they do things differently. So it's not easy, is is what I'm saying. But actually, if we know who our key stakeholders are within each ICB that actually can drive this agenda, um, then... I think that would be really rich. Now, I, in my own organisation, I know some of them, but not all of them. And it's not always that easy to find out. So we can have as many systems across across the adult social care sector and want to link in with ICB and et cetera, et cetera. But actually, if we don't know who the key players are and the stakeholders are with, out there, then that's really difficult. And I find it difficult sometimes to find to find that out. Yeah. So... Um, I would say from a systems perspective, I think we've, we've now got a digital world of, and a platform where we could really link in yeah. to our partners from an ICB perspective um, and actually into some of our NHS partners and GP practices, but actually it's too disjointed. Yeah. So we're not there yet. And I think, and I haven't got any answers, um, but we do need to, I think, work much more coherently together um, because the ICBs come in and quality monitor us. They yeah. know what systems we've got. They know what data is available to them. And everyone's getting much more au fait with all of the systems because Radar, Nourish, EMAR, they're all out there in the industry, so people are getting used to using them. But I'm not so sure we fully understand what they want from us. I think there's something around that um, discussion, yeah, from that quality metrics point of view within systems. Because... If we know what you're being asked, we can help build our standard dashboards. We can all work together yeah. on it. And there's maybe something to be learned from the kind of micro example. And by micro, I don't mean small, but the example you've given of having to work on that bespoke evolving program internally. And I think yes. that maybe that's something that has to happen when we look to the external market, to the ICBs, yeah, yeah. to start to go, well, actually, piece by piece, how do we fix things and how, how do, do we fix? help? Because they all ask us for different things as well, yeah. which is not helpful sometimes. Right. So depending on which area we're in, occasionally we get asked for different metrics to a different, a di- another area. Right. I mean, we generally have the information. It's not a problem to find the information, but it's not consistent. Yeah. And then so everyone get everyone measuring the same way. Yeah. Okay, there's something definite in that and how we support that and how support the conversations. The standard set metrics that people want us to report on. And then there will be... Bespoke metrics, because we look after people that are more complex. Yeah. So we will then have to measure other things. Um, but currently, I don't, we, we don't, it's not standard. Similar, yeah. but not standard. And if we could get the standards right, yeah. and then it makes the bespoke stuff just easier. Yeah, and, it does. Yeah, yeah done. Um, so, I, it's been really interesting chatting this morning, because I think there's probably the main theme through everything is 
the ability to have standard systems and processes that flex mm. consistently and constantly changing and evolving, right from your staff and your staff training to how they're implemented across your homes as to what support different homes need across what we might have to do in the system around that and, and always having that flexible approach throughout, which isn't easy and doesn't give a blueprint, but at least if we could start to have a blueprint to work from and adapt makes it easier. Yes. Um, so I think that's been really interesting to hear that. Do you, do you think that's a fair enough summary? Yeah, I do. And when you look at all of across adult social care, governance processes are similar everywhere. Yeah. Just, you know, we are a, an organisation that look after complex people, but our governance processes in our services will not be any different, not slightly tweaked, but not any different to what you'd find in an elderly care group. And we all work to the same CQC regulatory standards. Yeah. So there has to be a level of standardisation, which we all have, which we then build on. So we are all looking at the same things and gathering the same data and wanting the same outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's two takeaways, certainly from our point of view, that we'll take back. One is um, how we link up for you guys to share the outcomes of what you've achieved mm -hmm. between one another as colleagues, but then how we can start to work with you on that standardised blueprint approach with yes. the system. Sounds great. Yeah. Right. Well, you can hold me to it. I will. Now, <laughs> before you go, we have to ask you, now I'm checking here, we have to ask you, what is your health tech moment? So um, the guys who normally run the podcast say they normally ask a question about what's your health tech moment, what's your weird, your wacky story? Have you got one, Helen? I have. Okay. So I thought about this long and hard as I was driving here today. Um, and I am going to share this. It's quite funny. Uh, but actually really poignant, okay? So I joined, as I said, Exemplar five years ago, and at the time uh, I had a great CEO called John, uh, quite a wacky guy, really, you know, quite entrepreneurial, full of life, et cetera, et cetera. And we have a, um, and we still have exactly the same council. We have a service user council. And um, the council meetings are amazing, uh, and this was pre-COVID. So every one of our council meetings have always been pre-COVID, face-to-face. So we would have a group of 25 service users that have been um, nominated as the service user ambassador for their service. And we would have a venue and they'd come to the venue and we'd, and we'd listen to them. So it's around the executive team listening to the service users and then trying to make changes or adapt something at their request and what they wanted so and they are so lovely and we have an, a, a, a very different bunch of um service user ambassadors but uh, one particular guy called chris quite a vocal man who is always championing our staff wanting so every time you go to a council meeting you talk about staff pay for example really a champion for the staff you don't pay them enough so but chris would always have a slot because Chris had a lot, had and still has a lot to say. Uh, so this particular uh, month, it wasn't my turn to go. So we take it in turns, and also depending on the themes and topics that go onto the agenda, one of us would be allocated or two of us to go. But this particular time, it was John. So off John goes to the services council meeting, and uh, as always, Chris has his slot. And the first. And 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 no, it was and it is normally the same. Com he he asks and talks about the same things, which is usually about the staff. So John had obviously gone prepared to talk about the fact that 
salaries were going up, minimum wage was going up, blah, blah, blah. And so it got to Chris and Chris said, John, I need you to help me have sex. <laughs> <laughs> Which completely and utterly floored John, who would it was never, never speechless about anything. But he actually stood there, I'm told, and said, Chris, I'll send Helen Baxendale <laughs> next time and she'll sort this out. So, and this story goes, has been told many times that he just didn't know what to say and said he was going to send me to sort it out. So he came back and said, he said this. And I said, okay, what did you say? And he said, I told him you'd sort it out. <laughs> and I was like, John, that wasn't the right answer. He said, I know, but I didn't know what to say. <laughs> so it's a funny story, but actually it made me sit and really think about things. So it wasn't, it wasn't long into my exemplar journey. Um, and obviously, we predominantly look after people of a younger age group. However, Chris is not, you wouldn't class Chris as the younger age group, okay, because we do look after older people as well. But actually, this was something that I thought we, it was a topic that we potentially would, would be able to talk to service users about, would be able to support service users, okay? But actually, what I quickly learned, and it was that moment that actually I'm not sure we we are very good at supporting people in the, in this particular way. So um, it really, really set us off on this on this project. Um, and so I, I, I went. I knew some um, people at Leeds University, so made contact and partnered with a lovely lady called Jane. Um, to undertake research project for us uh, on sexuality and intimacy um, in care homes because it was something that I thought, well, I'm not an expert in this area. John seems to think I'm an expert on everything. <laughs> but I, 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 and I thought, well, if I'm struggling with this, how, how do our staff support our service users? And clearly people would, could struggle to have these types of conversations. So uh, we undertook some research and, and Leeds did it for us and, it, and the project was around sexuality and intimacy. And Chris was one of the participants of the study. So Jane went off to meet him along with a number of other service users. And, and you know, after about three or four months produced us a great research report that actually, and this was one of those moments where, you know, you're just like, oh, you know, it was one of those moments the majority of people that live in our homes through the research actually said their lives, it wasn't about having a sexual relationship, but they just wanted to have friends. Oh. And honestly, it still gets me now yeah. when, I, when I talk about that. Um, so again, that's a moment of what are we going to do? Okay. So Jane introduced us to a great organisation called Enhance the UK. And they are disabled, it's a disabled organisation, so it's disabled people people helping disabled people. So we joined up with those guys, amazing group of ladies, um, who helped us develop, A, some processes and policies around the topic, um, also enhancing our care documentation, but also developed us a fabulous tra interactive training programme um, to deliver to our staff teams so that we could actually support them to have this type of conversation that Chris had raised at the Service User uh, Council meeting. And um, 
interestingly, usually they would go out themselves and deliver the training, but the pandemic hit. So we agreed to do train the trainer and that that program and, and is still really uh, widely known. And we use all of that work that came from that one conversation in the Service User Council. And I have no doubt that we have absolutely supported people. Not just our service users, but our staff to be able to have those conversations and actually support people. I've well to put that. That's the most beautiful story because, well, one, good on Chris for standing up and saying what he thinks. Two, good on John for listening and bringing it back, albeit to you and you know actually fix <laughs> okay. this yeah yeah but but also for you as an organization to really stop and listen to actually what impacts someone quali- someone's quality of life and what's important to service users not just what we think is important and you know that real true quality but again it's back to that point about fear of coming into a care home yeah because you know i think people come into a care home and they think that 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 part of their life could be over yeah and actually that's not true at all yeah um and you know it, it was very clear to me that we needed to do something different and we absolutely have done something different and i know that that's helped staff support the people that we care for yeah well i wouldn't be surprised if um our colleagues write in after this asking for to talk more because certainly absolutely. speaking to other um Radar users, there's something around that quality of life metric and how do you start to improve that? Yes, that's so important. Yeah, yeah. So um, I won't be surprised if you get questions, but it's not. It, we're gonna, maybe we have a column, ask Helen. <laughs> ask Helen. A new podcast, yeah. <laughs> yeah. John can set up, yeah. Ask yeah. Helen to fix it. Oh, no. Um, but that's such a beautiful note to end our discussion on, Helen, in terms of your passion for your role, exemplars passion for service users, for staff, for making sure that everybody is having fun but having a quality of life and a quality of life from an employee perspective as well. Yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you for your time. No um, problem. Thank you for joining. Don't forget to subscribe if you've got questions you want to hear in the future, if there's things you'd like to see in this podcast. Um, I've got the address here, whatthehealthtech at radar.com. So send any feedback, any thoughts to us. And thank you very much, Helen. Thank you.